Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. A new poll suggests a border vote would decisively fail if it were to happen today. So where does it leave the debate around a united Ireland? Teacher shortages, there are reports the Department of Education took a look at cutting back career breaks of teachers. As it emerges, the Minister of Education is herself on a career break. I was uh, shocked, gobsmacked in fact, to hear that the Minister for Education's first response to this was a suggestion of cancelling career breaks for teachers, uh, not least because the Minister herself is on a career break. And later tonight, the far-right plot to overthrow the German government involving an ageing aristocrat is foiled by police. We'll get the very latest from Berlin. Do join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag TonightVMTV. Well, today saw a familiar sight in Northern Ireland. Politicians heading to Stormont to try and restore power sharing and failing to do so. It's the fifth time this year that it has happened. Foreign Minister Simon Coveney said he was disappointed but not surprised. The stalemate is just one of the reasons that talk of a united Ireland has grown. But a poll in the Irish Times over the weekend has put a very different look on that conversation. While the vast majority in the Republic would vote in favour, here's what it's like in the North. 50% would vote against, just 26% would be in favour, 19% of people don't know, and 5% would not vote. Well, this is the topic of our nightly live interactive poll, which will allow you to get involved in the show and tell us what you think about this topic tonight. Do you think you will see a united Ireland in your lifetime? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code on screen. We'll bring you the poll results later in the programme. Well, let's get into this in more detail. I am joined by the political editor of the Irish Times, Pat Leahy, Senator Lisa Chambers of Fianna Foyle, Parag McLaughlin, TD from Sinn Féin, and I'm also joined on Skype this evening by Deirdre Heenan, Professor of Social Policy at the University of Ulster, and also by Colin Harvey, Professor of Human Rights Law at Queen's University Belfast, who is also a board member of the group Ireland's Future. You are all very welcome to the programme. Pat, I'm going to start with you. So absolutely, people in the Republic in favour of the idea of a united Ireland when they're asked, but a pretty emphatic rejection by people in Northern Ireland. Did that surprise you? 
I think uh, the margin of it surprised me and certain other aspects of it surprised me as well. The high level of don't knows, particularly uh, amongst the others. The fact that over 20% of people from a Catholic background in Northern Ireland told the pollsters that they would vote uh, in favour of the union uh, with Great Britain. So, you know, a couple of individual aspects of it like that surprised me. Other than that, I suppose the the big picture findings of it, that the Republic is overwhelmingly in favour of it, that the North would reject it uh, if there was to be a, a poll in the foreseeable future. They didn't surprise me, but I think it would be an incomplete reading of the results thus far, and I should say that we, in, uh, uh, in conjunction with our academic colleagues in Ahrens, uh, will be uh, publishing further findings of it this weekend and, uh, and into next week. But to just take those headline findings would be to, to misread it or to read it incompletely because there's other interesting things going on in the background. There's clearly an appetite for the conversation, uh, certainly in, uh, in, in Northern Ireland, but also in, uh, in the Republic. And, and yet I do think, Pat, the narrative has been, even maybe just in the media and perhaps among some politicians in the last while, that sort of one big push is all it would take for us to have a border poll and for there to be, you know, a positive result, as it were. I mean, we've heard Mary Lou MacDonald say time and time again recently when she's asked, change is afoot, change is coming. You know, we are seeing things that we would never have thought possible in Northern Ireland before, like a Sinn Féin first minister. But that's not the case, is it? No, Mary, Lou, the... Mary Lou MacDonald is right that change is afoot, but... What this but not the extent perhaps some people had thought. No. What what this poll is pretty clear about, and actual in actual fact, all the other uh, uh, all the other published polls, none of them have come up with a likelihood of uh, a border poll voting for a united uh, Ireland uh, in in the north. And but what I think is important is that if that conversation is to take place over uh, over the coming decade or so, and I think that what this poll does is kind of point out, gives the lie to this idea that Mary Lou MacDonald and others on her side of the conversation have propounded in recent years, that this thing is an, in, an inevitability in the short or medium term. The data simply doesn't uh, support that conclusion. And if there is to be this conversation about it, then my view is that it is better coming from a position of reality or, or uh, uh, the, the the sense of the political landscape north and south that is evidenced uh, by this by this research. That's a better place in which to ground uh, a conversation about the future of the island than simply maintaining this is in uh, an historical inevitability. The train to unity is moving. Get on it or forget about it. Yeah, because I do wonder if Sinn Féin have made a mistake here that they've sort of conflated this idea or confused the idea that Sinn Féin have become more popular and Northern Ireland, they are First Minister, with an expression of a desire amongst its voters for a united Ireland. That's not what these stats say. I think if you look at the, the, the picture in the North, it's very clear changes afoot. I mean, the majority of MPs do not designate as unionists now. The majority of MLAs do not designate as unionists. 60% uh, according to the, uh, you know, the, the, the recent uh, survey in the North uh, did not designate as British. So there's clearly, and of course the First Minister for the first time ever as a nationalist. So there's very serious change happening in the North. I think but Mary Lee MacDonald, I think she said in May this year, within five years, 
case there would be a border poll, she thought. This was the inevitability. That feels a bit premature if you look at these results. I, I think the key thing that we've been saying, you know, repeatedly uh, over recent times has been you need to prepare responsibly. I mean, if you look at the, the, uh, the population uh, numbers in the north, you can see the, the journey that we're on here. Uh, we would say by the end of this decade, uh, there could be a referendum on Irish unity. So you need to prepare now. So you need a Citizens' Assembly. You need an Oireachtas Committee. You know, you need to talk about what type of health service are we going to have? Mm. What type of education system? What type of an economy in the New Ireland? It's, it's a real opportunity for us to reimagine this country. Here. Yeah, but does it surprise you, as Pat mentioned, I think it was 55% of Catholics would vote for a united Ireland. But that means 45% wouldn't or haven't made up their minds. So Sinn Féin has a whole body of work to convince nationalists in Northern Ireland, never mind unionists. You'd accept that. Uh, th there's been a number of polls over recent years, you know, uh, with different outcomes. I think what's clear, though, is the journey that we're on in the North, it's very, very clear, is that, uh, you know, in, in the not-too-distant future, you're going to have uh, a majority of people who want to see uh, a new Ireland. Now, that's not good enough for me, because I think there are people... But back to, do you accept that Sinn Féin has a body of work, has a big job to do in convincing nationalists. Uh, we all do, we all do. Not e just unionists. No, no, everybody on this island has a responsibility to reassure nationalists and unionists of their place in a new Ireland. But are you surprised that those nationalists but, need that reassurance? But, but we, we haven't even started the debate yet. I mean, we haven't even got a citizens' assembly. We're not even dealing with the concerns people have. I mean, for example, there was a good health service before the Tories started to strip it down, the National Health Service, in fairness to the British. They had a good health service. Of course, we don't. So we need to reassure people what type of health service we're going to have in New Ireland, what type of education system, you know, what type of economy, and of course, what is the place of unionists in New Ireland. If you look at the Alliance Party, I think the Alliance Party tells an awful lot the support that they have now. There's a very large section of people who come from unionist backgrounds who do not designate as unionists now. They want to be in the European Union. They want to be part of a new progressive country. So there's huge opportunities, but we need to be, we need to be patient. We need to do the work now. We need to do it responsibly, and that's our message. Um, Lisa, I think Michael Martin would say that they are doing the work now, that that's what this shared island initiative, is it having any impact in Northern Ireland? Yes, I think what, what the polling shows us is that, um, you know, it's, you, you have to unite our people. It's not about just uniting the, the, the landmass of the jurisdictions. It's, it's much more than that. And when I do hear Sinn Féin talk about doing this responsibly or preparing responsibly, you know, Mary Lou Macdonald did say within five years. And now they seem to be shifting their position a little bit because the evidence isn't there to support that. Um, when Brexit happened, they were calling for a border poll. When the recent Stormont elections happened, within hours they were calling for a border poll. That was premature and I would argue, my own opinion is, that that only serves to actually uh, upset other communities more in Northern Ireland, pushing that prospect of United Ireland further down the path. So I do believe we'll see United Ireland in my lifetime. I think we are a long way off even asking that question, at least a decade of preparations, I believe. Um, Porik is right in terms of questions that people will ask, health service, police service, defence forces, public and civil service, all of those things. What happens to Stormont? Will it be devolved? Will it disappear? We don't know. And the interesting, one of the interesting findings, Pat, out of your um, uh, survey was that when people in the Republic, even though it was 50% in favour of United Ireland, when they were asked about changing anthems and albums, they actually kind of got a bit jittery. Yeah, so and we're going to get into that. But just to make one further point here is that um, if we've learned anything from Brexit, when you ask the question, you need to be able to answer 
people's genuine uh, concerns over what it looks like. And I think when people say in the Republic, yes, we want to unite Ireland, you know, that's a, more of a romantic thing that we want to see happen. But, but when, when you, you when you drill down into the gritty nature of it, we don't yet know what that looks like for every individual. It's quite subjective yet because we haven't had that national conversation. Okay, but when you talk about, those things, um, you know, seeing this border poll in your lifetime, you're a pretty young person, so thank you. You, <laughs> I think you have a couple of decades uh, ahead of you, Lisa, and then some. So what do you mean by that? Like, is that well, five, ten, fifteen, twenty? How long is this conversation that anyone, you talk about? But anyone that you take, anyone that tells you they can tell you how long it'll take is is selling you a pup because nobody knows. The conversation has started. We don't need a citizens assembly to start the conversation. We've been talking about it for quite some time. Actually, there's there's moves, uh, there's work undergoing to establish a Shannon Select Committee specifically on this question. So we will have a committee within the Iraq that's doing that work. But just, it's not pushing it, but it's one of the houses that can, can talk about it. But that's in addition to the conversation we're already happening. But until we can answer those questions around, you know, do we, how do we consolidate the health services? How do we consolidate our police services? How do we consolidate okay. our public and civil services? They're tricky okay. questions to answer, but they need to be answered before we ask the question of the people. Okay, I want to go to some of our voices uh, in Northern Ireland and to Deirdre Heenan first. A poll is, look, it's a snapshot. Um, we know that this you know, position can change. Um, but looking more long term, do you think a united Ireland feels close in the north at the minute? No, I don't. I'm not surprised by the findings. Um, we've had increased talk of unification, but not matched, it, it appears, by a desire for change. Uh, and the, the idea of reunification does not command majority support. And we have to ask ourselves why. And the reality here in the North is we have been through uh, austerity, a decade of austerity, six years of Brexit negotiations, a global pandemic, war in Europe. And actually what people yearn for is a period of stability, some sense of what's going to happen in the future, what the future might look like. I don't think anyone wants to jump into the unknown to take another chance. We have learned from Brexit how difficult it is to live our lives with this cloud of uncertainty over us. So I think that is an important point to make. Um, in terms of reunification, also, we have no idea what's on offer. We've heard talk about the health service. I've done work in cross-border research health. And really, the data, there's very little information. It would be de very difficult to put forward a case to ask people to sell something to them. So if you look, for example, at the case for Scottish independence, they had a 270-page detailed document setting out what health services would look like, what taxation would look like, what would happen to the economy. What we have, when you strip it all away, what really we have at the moment, what we're sitting with is rhetoric, ideas, aspirations, but really the cupboard is bare. And if people are serious about the project of reunification, then it's time we really did some serious research into what would that look like? What would the implications be? How would we address the issues? And even the very basics. So the health service in Northern Ireland is based on the principle of universality. The health service in the South was not based on the same principle. So which one would you pick and why? Because as has been rightly said, the NHS in the last decade has been through a very, very difficult time. And we have people in the North here waiting up to eight years to see a consultant, yet we're told that our health service is free at the point of delivery. So I think there is an enormous amount of work to do. And it is wrong to conflate demographic change and the rise of Sinn Féin with a sudden desire uh, to see a united Ireland with a wave of fervent nationalism, because there is no evidence that that is happening here.
Right, uh, let me just go to uh, Colin Harvey, who's also uh, joining us from Northern Ireland uh, this evening. Do you agree with Deirdre that Northern Ireland has been through a real period of uncertainty, particularly off the back of Brexit, and the last thing people are going to vote for is another unknown? And that's what reunification is for so many people. Kira, just want to start by commending the Irish Times and Ireland for producing this uh, work. Uh, this is exactly what we need more of. Uh, everyone involved in the discussion is talking about planning and preparing, and, and much of that work is already underway in universities, civic groups, uh, some of the work being done around the Shared Island Initiative. So really we're talking about a sustained period of planning and preparing. So when the question's asked, that people know what they're actually voting for. So you're asking people to vote for United Ireland and nobody can spell out uh, what that actually means. So I think that work continues and is ongoing. It's all framed by the Good Friday Agreement. People here what have formats, a choice. So, uh, so, sorry to cut across you, Colin, but what format yeah. should that work take? Well, I think what's... I'll, I'll tell you who's missing from the discussion at the moment. Uh, the Irish government is largely missing from the discussion at the moment. And I think what's really stark is the lack of political leadership from the Irish government in terms of what is ultimately, you know, a choice that's in the Good Friday Agreement. People will be marking the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement next year. The constitutional choice is there. We should be planning and preparing in the open and honestly. And civic groups are doing this, universities okay. are doing this. And I acknowledge that some of the work of the Shared Island Unit and those initiatives. But what's really stark at the moment is the, the lack of leadership from the Irish government okay. that will, in the end, have to make the proposals and deliver the proposals. So, you know, that's where I would look now for the Citizens' Assembly that's been mentioned. But, but other initiatives as well, you know. All to, right, so let me just put that point I, to our politicians yeah. here, at Colin. Uh, I want to put that point specifically to you, Lisa Chambers, that there's a real lack of leadership here coming from government. As we mentioned at the beginning, there is this shared island initiative, but I would push you to ask 10 people to describe what that is, what it does and what it's achieved. There's a lack of leadership coming from Michael Martin, come, coming from Fianna Fáil. Obviously, I would disagree with that. And I think that establishing the Shared Island Initiative is leadership. And that was established by Micheál Martin as Taoiseach and it sits within his office. The idea behind the Shared Island Unit is to build relationships north-south, to put projects together that go cross-border. But are they answering um, and to fund... the questions that both of our guests have outlined there, which is what happens to the education system? What happens to the NHS to be fair, and with, with those respect, sort of specific, tangible well, things that people understand. Yeah, and with respect, the Irish government can't answer that question alone. And that's a matter for all of the people on the island. So the Irish government can't tell people in Northern Ireland what health service they must accept or should have. But has the Irish government started that conversation with Those conversations have been happening. People in Northern I think, Ireland. I think those conversations are happening across the board. But I don't think we're at the point yet where we start asking ourselves what kind of health service. We're so... That's very premature, in my view. We have a long way though, to go is yet. Is it though, Pat Lee, Because when you looked at, I suppose, people's concerns uh, around the United Ireland, particularly in the North, that is one of the points that come up time and time again. It is this very basic stuff like... What will the NHS, NHS look like? Will it just be um, NHS 2.0 or will we have to join the HSE, basically? Like, these things are important. To Health people. is a huge issue in the North. And one of the things that comes across in uh, the 
research, which includes both quantitative opinion polls and qualitative focus groups in which we sat down with bunches of, uh, of undecided voters, our voters who were open to change and had mm. a discussion with them about the, uh, the questions that were also addressed in the survey. But there's a huge concern about the health service in Northern Ireland. Now, one might say that the view of the health service in Northern Ireland as to the outcomes it produces is somewhat inflated vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the health service in the South. But that caveat having been entered, there's no doubt that one of the first things that Northern voters would want to know and coming across in the focus groups especially was a desire to know, and both, this applies to both North and South, what, uh, what was the offer? What would a, a United Ireland look like? The health service And that must one be a real post-Brexit hangover too, isn't it? This fear, we can't vote for something when we don't know what it looks like day to day. And actually the Brexit example was one which was specifically cited by lots of respondents in the focus groups that what they didn't want to see was a repeat of, uh, of the Brexit referendum where people voted for something when they didn't know what it was. But, you know, I mean, it goes... It goes far beyond just the nuts and bolts of a health service or civil service reform or those sort of things. You have to ask yourself some very fundamental questions about the constitutional shape of the state. So would, uh, would it be an integrated Northern Ireland or a Northern Ireland integrated in the Republic? That is to say, Northern Ireland, as we know, it would cease to exist and uh, the Parliament would sit in Dublin and uh, MPs or TDs from the North uh, would come and sit And automatically uh, rejoin the EU, for example. Uh, which is what which is what would happen? Or would it be uh, a devolved Northern Ireland, where the guarantees that are in place in the north to protect or were designed to protect one minority in the north would now effectively transfer to what would be another minority in uh, in a larger state so all those sort of questions have to be uh, have to be answered uh, before you even begin uh, uh, thinking about uh, holding a referendum okay i want to go back to you uh, Deirdre, because i want to talk about the percentage within this poll i think it was 20% who said they would find a united ireland almost impossible to accept. Would unionists accept this result, do you think? Or what does impossible to accept look like, potentially? Well, I think what's interesting in our conversation to date and so far tonight is we haven't mentioned the word reconciliation. And post Good Friday Agreement, 25 years on, there is a serious job of work to do in this island in terms of reconciliation. And I think actually that has to happen alongside talk about constitutional change. 25 years on, we are a deeply divided society here in the North. Uh, it's a toxic political situation. Our, as you know, our institutions are down. Uh, people have retreated to their trenches. And it is important also to understand that we are no longer two tribes in the North, but in fact, three minorities. So we haven't really talked much about the non-aligned and how they would be persuaded that constitutional change would be better for them. But I think if we're using talk of a border poll as a threat, or people receive it as a threat, then really we're pushing the whole idea of constitutional change further down the road. So I would like people to address the issue of what are they doing in terms of reconciliation? What are they doing to address real fears that people have about their future identity and what that would look like in a new Ireland or a future Ireland? Because we can't just dismiss that. Is if we want this... Who is using work? it as a threat, do you think? Is it being presented as a threat? Well, 
I think if you were a unionist and you hear and uh, repeatedly told that there's going to be a border poll within five years, that when we were in the middle of Brexit chaos, that there was going to be a border poll, I think it was deeply unhelpful and actually not likely to happen. We're now told that it's going to happen at the end of the decade. Personally, I think that's very unlikely. And for many people, it seems that uh, reunification is always going to be a decade away because, quite frankly, we have been talking about all island health for 10 years. We still don't have the evidence. We're still talking about it. I don't see where that evidence is produced on the scale that it needs to be. I don't see where people are addressing the underlying issues of fear and isolation. You know, ironically, we've had 12 years of toxic Tory rule here where we have the highest levels of poverty. uh, We have the highest levels of deprivation. And yet there isn't a clamour for constitutional change. And people might say, well, if it's not going to happen now, what is it going to take to make that change? Barth McLaughlin. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Um, In terms of that 20% of unions who say they would find United Ireland almost impossible, do you think you can change their mind? I, I think there's a core block of unionism that will never accept the United Ireland. And, and by the way, there's a core block of people in Scotland that won't accept Scottish independence. They, they have a very close connection to the Crown, but that is a democratic decision for the people of Scotland and the people of the North of Ireland, indeed the people of all of Ireland, to make. But, but I got, Scotland didn't have yeah. the troubles, did they? So yeah, there's yeah, not the same I, fear I, 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 there about that resistance that perhaps there'd be in Northern Ireland. Yeah, no, but you know, we're 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement. And people who are nationalists, you know, are living within the United Kingdom. 
uh, and they have a desire and an aspiration to build a new Ireland. So we need to have the discussion. I think it's totally disrespectful to all of the nationalist people in the North to say we can't talk about this. We need to talk about this. It's a democracy. Now, I, I go back again, and this is my frustration with Well, the... Sinn Féin and Ferns have done more than just, you know, <clears throat> talk about this. They have put a deadline, didn't they? They said five years or before the end oh, of the no, decade, there'll no, be a no, the, the, border poll. I mean, no, but the, the end of the decade reflects the census the, the demographics, the, the journey that's happened. But I repeat again, right. uh, the majority of MPs, the majority of MLAs do not designate as unionists to the North. We have a nationalist All first right. minister. So, but we, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to not just talk about United Ireland as Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael do, uh, uh, except when they go to the three arena with the rest of us. We need to have an actual plan. We need to work now on what the health service is going to look okay. like, the okay. economy, the Okay, we've covered that. I just want proper. to go back to our uh, nightly interactive poll. Tonight's question was, do you think you will see United Ireland in your lifetime? The result of that poll was 52 in favour. 48 against uh, Pat, the same numbers as Brexit, ironically. True, I don't want to rain on the parade, of course, but a self-selecting poll is, is perhaps indicative uh, rather, rather than absolute in the numbers. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be interested just to ask uh, Padraig at, uh, at some stage, because, you know, I mean, it's very clear that the cause of a united Ireland and, uh, you know, the nationalist agenda is really important for people in, uh, in Sinn Féin. And, uh, and were there to be a Sinn Féin-led government, that would be, uh, I think, one of the, the twin priorities along with you know, social economic uh, re reform of, of that government. But it doesn't really take a citizens' assembly to be called for Sinn Féin to set out its plans. And I'm kind of slightly curious why Sinn Féin hasn't made more proposals as to what it believes a united Ireland should look like. And not to go back to the flags and anthems yes. thing, but that's, a, I suppose, a useful indicator of, of something. So Mary Lou Macdonald, for instance, has said, you know, that that's something we okay, should talk well, about. But, but what would she say? I mean, yeah. would she prepare? Well, we, 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 you know that we have published a document on the economic benefits of United Ireland. We, we, yeah, we just, that that very... document struck me as... Yeah. Uh, struck me as writing the conclusions but, but before asked, the work yeah. Yeah. But, but, with respect you've asked me a question I, I, Sinn Féin don't claim to have all the answers we, we, what we're saying is cooperatively all of our people Fianna Fáil Fine Gael Sinn Féin yeah. uh, nationalists and unionists we need to work together on what type of health service we want I, I, I oh, genuinely but just but, I suppose that's, that's but, a, and it was a question I was going to ask you what does United Ireland look like for Sinn Féin I mean very practical things I, like I, I live in Donegal I live in the border okay uh, you know uh, you, you look for example now in Alton and we have a radiotherapy unit that people in Derry, Donegal, the Northwest, everybody uses that unit. So we don't have to travel to Galway, Dublin. That's the sort of thing. You know, people practical all, yeah. benefits. But people of, also want to know, would students have to do the Leaving Cert or the GCSEs? Yeah, but you see, Sinn Féin don't claim to have all the answers. What we say is, though, is that... We, no, yeah. but what we say is okay. it's so irresponsible not to work together... But is it also to, irresponsible not to... But sorry, you've, you've, also, said, you've also said here tonight that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and others just talk about it, yeah. but you've done nothing different. You've been asked a direct question no, no. several can, times can I, can and you can't even articulate one just, answer about a health service. But can you just give one example? Can you just okay, one example? I, I just... Sorry, but, uh, you've, you've, I haven't got a chance to I literally didn't get one minute to respond, one minute without interruption to respond to the question you've put. And I want to say this, OK? Earlier this year, we proposed that you would have uh, MPs or MLAs from the North oh, serving right. on Oireachtas committees. On Oireachtas committees that don't have votes, that don't make legislation, special committees. 
And even that was rejected by Fianna Fáil. Wait, like, OK, all right, look, I want to go, I want to go back to our Skype this evening. I want to go to uh, Colin Harvey. What was also interesting from uh, that poll in the Irish Times was the desire of people in Northern Ireland to be asked the question for the poll to happen sooner rather than later. Do people want the answer settled at the moment? Well, let's be clear. We're having a Good Friday Agreement conversation. This is at the core of the constitutional compromise that is the Good Friday Agreement. You know, we talk about the principle of consent. Okay. All we're really talking about is planning and preparing properly for asking people in Northern Ireland the constitutional question and knowing the consequences of their answer and getting the planning and preparation right so as we don't repeat the shambolic mess that is Brexit. So, okay. you know, I think we're underestimating the amount of work that is going on. And just let me end by being clear. The discussion about a new Ireland is a reconciliation conversation. This is about reconciling this island. It's intrinsically connected to the project okay. of rec reconciling and overcoming division and separation on our shared island. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. But my thanks to Deirdre Heenan and to Colin Harvey. We're going to take a quick break. Join us for lots more in a few minutes. Very welcome back. Now we turn to a big issue in our classrooms, the lack of teachers. The government are looking at ways to sort out the issue, but one has caused controversy. There are reports that suspending teachers' career breaks was under consideration. It brought exchanges in the Dáil today with Sinn Féin's leader pointing out that the Education Minister herself, Norma Foley, is in fact on a career break. Well, Pat Leahy, Lisa Chambers and Project McLaughlin are still with me and I'm also joined on Skype by Roisin Nick Tiernan, Principal at Mullingar Educate Together. So I'm going to go to you um, first. Roisin, you, like many um, teachers, principals out there, struggling to fill vacancies in your school. Why is taking teachers back off career breaks not a good idea? Well, first of all, there is no proposal at the moment to suspend uh, the career break uh, structure. And to be quite honest with you, it wouldn't address, uh, in my opinion, and the opinion of many other principals, the immediate substitute, um, you know, shortage that we're experiencing at the moment. Um, what would address the situation is the reinstatement of the uh, measures that were put in place as a direct response to the COVID pandemic. Okay, but just Namely, let me just go back, the, sorry, just to this yeah, issue of, yeah. of um, teachers yeah. on career breaks. How many teachers within your school are currently on career breaks? Three. One of them is on secondment and uh, the other two on career break. And why? And we have had no... Why would bringing the, those teachers back into the system not help deal with some of the substitute issues that you have? Because one of those teachers is on, I don't have, uh, at the moment in our school, we have access to a supply panel, as do the other 25 schools in Mullingar and the Mullingar area. The four teachers are based in our school and on a day-to-day -day basis, they satisfy the short-term needs in terms of substitutes in the local schools. So what would help address in, say, going out to various counties, if such supply panels were extended, these would indeed address the substitute um, shortage in our school. During COVID, career breaks were not suspended, yet 
the government and local schools were able to overcome the, uh, the idea that children would be taught in, in classes by teachers or indeed by um, student teachers. So going back and taking people back off career or proposing to take a direct result, what would result from that would be teachers would possibly um, re re resign their positions and you'd be left with further teacher shortages. It, wouldn't, it would not um, provide a solution in any shape or form. Um, Pat Lee, this seemed all a little bit last minute today, didn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm loath to make predictions, particularly about the future, as they say, but uh, I, can, I suspect that this one will never see the light of day. It will certainly never see the light of day in the manner in which it's been presented in some quarters, which is that every teacher who's on a career break uh, at, the, at the moment is going to be hauled back in to the classroom, whatever about there being some sort of a moratorium on career breaks uh, in, the, in the future for a period of six or 12 months or whatever. Hauling people back uh, is, I'm pretty sure, uh, not going to happen. Uh, I mean, I suppose in a way it brings the conversation, as do so many other things in Irish politics right now, it brings it back to the, uh, to the housing crisis. And it shows you to what extent a housing shortage becomes a social crisis, infecting lots of different areas of, uh, of people's lives, of public services and, uh, and so forth. And you, would you say that because the teacher shortage is quite acute. It's acute in Dublin, in Dublin. and I see, it, uh, I see it all the time in my, uh, in my kids' schools. Now, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, anecdotally, you see it happening more intensively right across the capital because teachers can't afford to live, or particularly young teachers who might be on the substitute panels can't afford uh, to, to live in Dublin. Now, the corollary of that, of course, is that it's not going to be solved overnight, just like the housing uh, shortage isn't going to be solved overnight, which is why the government is scrambling around and looking for short-term measures such as this. Now, if you ask me, my personal view, a moratorium on career breaks in most circumstances for six months or 12 months is not an outrageous thing to suggest, but I suspect it, uh, it would be political politically very difficult to implement, particularly if the unions are against it. Well, the unions are against it and Sinn Féin were really against it today. Uh, Mary Lee MacDonald, first of all, admitting and uh, acknowledging rather that there is a crisis here, that there is a real problem when it comes to finding substitute teachers, but calling this idea of a moratorium, as you say, on career uh, breaks as shocking that she was gobsmacked. What's so wrong with it? The issue was, it appeared to be the first uh, option that they're reaching for. I mean, if you take the situation in Dublin, 60% of the spaces on the panel are, 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 are vacant, they're not filled. It's a fundamental crisis. And of course, it's around housing, cost of living, and we could debate all of that. But right now, this Christmas, uh, you know, there will be teachers home from Britain, uh, from, you know, the Middle East, from around the world who are back home. They can't be offered a permanent contract. No, we want to bring them home, but they can't be offered a permanent contract. So there are measures that were taken during COVID. There are measures that were taken in the past that need to be implemented now. So that's the issue. There are, there are emergency measures, interventions, and the government need to take them. But you don't think this is a suitable emergency measure, even though it would, I would imagine, ensure that there were a number of teachers brought back into the system? Well, well, of course, the, the minister herself is one of those in career breaks. Maybe, maybe she might want to go back into the education system first and <laughs> lead, lead, lead by example. Uh, I think that was the, the irony of today. But uh, as I say, there, there are a range of measures. I mean, the, the biggest thing for me uh, is you know, we're going to see our teachers home 
with their families this Christmas. They want to come home, but we can't offer them a permanent contract. So they're going to be, you know, having to wait maybe, you know, with very little right. income, temporary contract into next year. That needs to be looked at urgently. Uh, Lisa Chambers, what was the story here? Was this fully thought through? Well, first of all, it wasn't the only measure that was being discussed. I think it was probably taken up a little bit wrong and um, Pat's corrected wasn't about hauling back every teacher on a career break, whether they're in Dubai or wherever. That wasn't what was being suggested, but it was looking at a, a temporary pause in the granting of new career breaks. OK, so it's not dealing... people on existing career breaks. It was future career breaks. Is that it? That's my understanding, is that we were trying to stop new career breaks being granted at the minute. It wasn't, it, it hasn't happened. It was a, one, of, one of the proposals being put to Cabinet. Obviously, the reaction has been quite strong. Um, but I think I can understand why the Minister is looking to see what she can do to try and deal with what is a severe shortage, more acute in, in, in the capital and in other, other urban areas as well. Um, but then there are other things that I think we need to do. I mean, I would agree with Porik around the, the need to offer young teachers and new teachers permanent posts when they come out because one of the challenges when you come out of college and you're getting a job is you want to get a mortgage and start your family and your life and you can't do that on a temporary contract. So there are other measures that need to be looked at. And why are they not being offered? Um, for, for a number of reasons, I think it is being looked at, um, but I think they'll need to create new posts and, and they will have to go back to the drawing board in this. this some teachers are being offered maybe 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week, depending. So it's just not, it's not fulfilling what they need in order to start their lives here. So there's, it's not any one fix to this. Um, but I think we have to listen to the unions and the teachers on this on this front. But, but also, is this idea of suspending like, current career breaks but, that's off the table? What, what I would ask, I think, is, is maybe pause and reflect on how do we deal with the, the situation for the next number of months, just to kind of ease the pressure on the system, and then a longer term approach to trying to address. The, the wider challenges like the long-term contracts and issues with the Teaching Council and making it a more, I suppose, attractive career for people to stay in. But Roisin, also... do you feel sorry, reassured by what you hear, hear from Lisa Chambers? Absolutely not. So if we want to pause and reflect, that doesn't put a, a teacher or substitute teacher into a class in the morning. So what is needed? Like It's a classic example of the Department of Education fixing so, or breaking something that was partially fixed. What I mean by that, there were measures put in place during COVID. They were addressing short-time teacher supply. How was it doing this? Um, students in colleges of education, third and fourth year students, as part of their teacher training, uh, present and do, okay. do stints in schools. They were allowed to sub. That worked. Another one was teachers who were um, uh, trained abroad were able to complete their induction process in Ireland. They okay. were immediate, okay. effective things. So suspending career breaks will just not address the issue. Those measures, and also with the risk of sounding flippant, if you want to increase teacher supply, train more teachers. All right, look, we're going to have Very to leave uh, that there mm. for now. Uh, lots more after this Thank break. You. Welcome back. Well, anyone who's popped their head out the front door over the last few hours will know it is starting to get very, very cold out there. But how long are we expecting the cold snap to last? Let's speak to Siobhan Ryan from Met Erin. Uh, Siobhan, good evening to you. What can we expect over the next 24 to 48 hours? 
Hi there, Kira. Yeah, well, obviously, we know we're in the grip of a very cold spell. And over the next 24 to 48 hours, um, temperatures are going to plummet. We're going to see icy conditions, um, low temperature warnings. Obviously, we have an overarching weather advisory that takes us right out to Monday of next week. So really, the advice really is to to keep in touch with all the forecasts and the warnings that follow over the next few days. Now, tonight, obviously, temperatures are taking a nosedive. Already, we've got sub-zero values in over parts of the country, and we're looking at a sharp frost setting in tonight, and further south, maybe some patches of freezing fog. But most importantly, actually, later tonight, we get um, basically a band of wintry precipitation, mm. and that's going to slowly sink down from the north. Uh, some of that's going to fall asleep in snow, so some light dustings out there um, towards the night's end. Now, very minimal amounts but nonetheless it will be enough that there will be some bits and pieces on the ground but most especially of all it is going to turn extremely icy later tonight and we're all um, very very much concerned around um, the possibility of some black ice so obviously black ice is freezing ice on the road and invisible to the naked eye and will that black ice be there in the morning you know for people sort of getting up bringing kids to school commuting six seven eight nine o'clock yeah, possibly so, um, in over the northern half of the country. And then from around nine o'clock onwards, it sinks down in over the southern half of Ireland. Now, it's not going to occur everywhere, but um, the places most um, likely to see this black ice, I would think, would be in over the Midlands and even down as far as the South Midlands. Oh, nice. And up until even as late as 12 o'clock tomorrow morning or 11 o'clock, certainly. So um, treacherous okay. conditions are expected. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you for that. A warning to okay. all motorists out there to drive carefully. Now, there were dramatic scenes across Germany this morning as police swooped to detain dozens of people. But this wasn't any run-of-the-mill crime. The people arrested are accused of plotting to storm the German parliament and overthrow the government. Well, a little earlier, I spoke to correspondent Trent Murray in Berlin and I began by asking him what the group were planning and how advanced their plans were. Well, the police uh, swooping on this group this morning uh, said that they had a concrete plan in place, the alleged people behind this. Now, we know that 25 people are in custody. 3,000 police officers were involved in these arrests. Uh, and what they say was that this group was in the advanced stages of trying to overthrow the German government. Now, specifically, what they allegedly had planned to do was to try and storm the lower house here of the parliament building, take politicians hostage and then try and install their their new leader. Now, the ringleader of this is a man called Prince uh, Heinrich XIII. He's a somewhat of a minor royal. Uh, of course, Germany doesn't have a royal family anymore, but there are descendants of them. And it is understood that he already was having shadow government meetings uh, over the past 12 months. He had a defence minister lined up, a health minister lined up and others. They hoped that by taking parliament, they would then be able to install a new government. Of course, what the police are saying is that they had been monitoring this group over the past 12 months and they were aware of their plans, uh, but they do say they were quite advanced. Worth noting as well, uh, a, a former MP was uh, allegedly arrested today, an active soldier uh, as well as a judge. So clearly people that had some both political uh, uh, links uh, as well as law enforcement links. And that has what's been a real concern for the government here. Yeah, because Trent, um, I understand they had planned the shadow government, but there was also a military armed to this too, wasn't there? There was, and one of the main focuses we understand uh, of this 
new government in waiting, whatever you want to call it, was to try and install a new German army, uh, which is very bizarre, but that's what they wanted to do. Um, we know that as part of the surveillance that had been taking place over the past 12 months, uh, that they saw real active recruitment efforts from this group. They were approaching active military personnel police officers, veterans as well that had been retired. They clearly were determined to try and get people that had military or police experience. They had also been stashing weapons, we understand, and that, uh, I think, is why the timing of this is quite significant. We haven't been given more details yet, but we do know that they were stashing guns uh, as part of their efforts to try and launch this attack on the parliament. How, how big is the organisation behind this supposed this plan and what has the reaction been from ordinary German people? Well, look, it certainly, I think, has, has raised eyebrows. It's, it's made a lot of headlines. And uh, the, the issue is with this particular group, it's quite difficult to pin them down, these citizens of the Reich, in terms of their ideology. It's a real mixed bag of people. On one hand, you've got these extreme right-wing neo-Nazis, if you will, but they're sort of mixed in with some extreme monarchists who want to see a return of the monarchy. You've got people like COVID deniers and conspiracy theorists who believe that the German government is illegitimate and there's a deep state theory. A lot of it tied into international QAnon forums, the police said, a lot of online chatter with groups in America and the like. So it's an incredibly complex web, if you will. But what the German interior minister here says, it's for that reason uh, that right-wing extremism is now the number one threat facing Germany. Uh, they believe there was around 20,000 members of this group, investigations still underway, uh, and clearly in those chat rooms online and forums and encrypted messaging apps, they are discussing some quite possible, some, sorry, some quite violent plans, I should say, and that really has got law enforcement here concerned uh, about, you know, how much further this potentially could spread, not just here, it has to be said, but also in other parts of Europe. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Trent Murray, thanks for that update. Uh, Lisa Trent Murray there saying far-right extremism is now the biggest worry in Germany. Is enough being done, do you think, at an Irish level, at a European level, to tackle this far-right ideology? Um, I would say it's, it's a big concern. It's not just happening in Germany. Mm. We see uh, Viktor Orban, for example, in Hungary, far-right. He's pro-Moscow. Um, very recently, uh, actually, I think yesterday, they, they blocked EU funding to, to Ukraine. Um, Italy, Sweden, uh, Marine Le Pen's party in France, so it's not just a German problem. Mm. We're seeing it all over the Brexit vote, for example, was quite populist as well. Um, we don't have a huge problem here in Ireland. We do have, um, I think, the, the Irish Nationalist Party, but it's not, it's not as strong as in some other European countries. So it is a concern because these groupings tend to be uh, Eurosceptic. They tend to be often racist, um, homophobic, uh, anti-immigrant, and they tend to, I think, unravel uh, social cohesion in, in a country. So it is a concern. What Europe can do about it is not as direct, um, but it is about, I think, member states being aware of it. Uh, and I think Germany obviously managed to foil that attempt. To... And not underestimate yeah. it. All right, look, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you to Lisa Chambers and to all of my guests tonight. That's it from us here, from all the late team. Good night. Do take care.